The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The book of Joshua, chapter number 22. Well, if you've been with us during the spring season, we were going verse by verse uh, through the portion of the Bible referred to as Ephesians. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, directed specifically to those people in the city of Ephesus. And uh, so for about four months, we worked our way through that portion of Scripture, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, really learning about our identity in the person of Christ. Who are we now that we are new creations? And uh, what does that uh, make possible in our functional, everyday life? And so last week, we officially concluded that entire series. It only took us about four months, and we made it through the entire book. So I just want to say to each and every one of you who stayed along that journey with us, thank you. You made it, and uh, I'm looking forward to what God has for us in the future. As we're getting into the summer season, because so many of us are traveling, even I know this weekend, we've got many families that are traveling on vacation, and we're starting to get into that season. Uh, Historically, here at Ambassador Baptist, uh, we haven't done long series of messages through the summer months, uh, because a lot of our series build on each other. And so, with so many people out and here and there, we like to take an opportunity either to do some very small mini-series, or we go expositionally through a chapter or a portion of the Bible. And so we're going to kind of begin that today. And over the next several weeks, we're just going to take portions of the Bible. Instead of going through an entire book uh, or going through several chapters, we're going to just take uh, passages and we're going to unpack those passages uh, through the next probably six to eight weeks here. And then as we go into the fall season, we've got an incredible series that we're preparing. And uh, by God's grace, will really help us as we move through the gospel of John together as a church family. And so today... um, Um, We're going to just take some time, and I want to talk through Joshua chapter number 22. Uh, If you're used to being around here, the format that I use this morning is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to take about half the sermon to simply walk us through uh, Joshua chapter number 22. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, We're going to try to help us understand it. And uh, then at the very end, I'm going to give us a few observations that I believe uh, in a spirit of wisdom uh, we can glean as God's people. And so for those of you who are used to being around here, you're going to be like, man, if this is just his introduction, we are in big trouble today. And uh, I I know uh, sometimes I can go a little long. I'm going to try to do my very best to kind of dive into this and and really keep it moving. And so uh, we're going to be in Joshua chapter number 22. And I want to simply speak here on this subject of really maintaining unity in the midst of differences. What does the Word of God have to say? How do believers with different personalities, with different preferences, with different backgrounds, with different desires, with different socioeconomic standings, with different kind of just ethnic, all these, all these differences. And, and those differences are only compounding as the age of the internet and all the different kind of melting pot of America just continues to see. How, how as believers are we called to maintain a spirit of unity, not by getting rid of all of our differences, all getting rid of all, we're all going to get to one personality, we got to get all one kind of perspective, we got to all kind of get to this one, how, how, do, we, how do we maintain a, a God-centered, Christiocentric unity 
not without by getting rid of the differences, but in the midst of those differences, all right? And, and anybody can get along when they agree on every little thing. That doesn't take the Holy Spirit. That just happens. So how does God call believers to be unified, not just by getting rid of a million differences, but in the midst? of those differences. Here's what Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 4. We went through this about six weeks ago. But Ephesians 4 verse 3 says this. We need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That the Spirit of God brings a sense of unity. It brings a sense of calm. It brings a sense of serenity. It brings a sense of peace. That's what God's word does. And so we're going to be talking about this a little bit. And yet here's the reality. How, how many of you have read your Bibles? I mean, most of us are here. We've read through it. And as you read through it, how many of you realize division ran rampant in the early church? I mean, it's like every church you look at, there was division of some sorts. I mean, from the very, very, very beginning, all the way back in Acts chapter number six, the church of Jerusalem is just getting started. Chapter number three, chapters number four. And by the time you get to chapters number six, there is already division brewing in that first church there in Jerusalem. I mean, it was one of those things in the early church, Acts 6, you know, you're not taking care of our widows. You're not spending enough time with those people. And the, they were, there was divisions between there, the Gentiles and the Jews, even within that body. And then you move on and e- even the disciples, I mean, before this thing ever got started and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And I, I think I'm going to be the greatest. And I think I'm going to be the the greatest. In fact, to the point where they were like getting their moms involved, you know? Hey, mom, go tell Jesus, you know, that I need this, you know? It was, it was crazy. And I mean, from the disciples to the early church, then you start marching through the uh, church epistles, and you, you come to the church at Corinth, and they're like, I'm of Apollos, and the other one's like, no, I'm of Paul. No, we're of Cephas, and they're arguing about who baptized them, and, and whose, whose baptism is the best, and whose baptism is better. And, and then you come to the church at Philippi. This is a great church. This is a, a church that the apostles Paul has so many things good to say about and then you come to chapter number four and he says I beseech you Odious and Syntychius he says that you be of one mind he says there was some there was basically there's these two ladies who couldn't get along in the church and Paul's like come on guys shape up division this is not a new thing. It's not something that comes. This is, this is it. It's so easy to become disunified. You begin to work through the, the, the word of God and you say, this is not something that's just now. It's not just something that's here. This is something that began from the very earliest experience. So how do we experience unity in the midst of all these differences? Personality differences. Preferential differences socioeconomic differences, sometimes age differences. How, how does this happen? And so Luke chapter number 17, here, here's what Jesus said, and this is so interesting. Luke 17, verse 1. Then said Jesus unto the disciples, it is impossible, notice this word, but that offenses will come. Jesus said, you're going to get offended. Okay, now how many of you, you remember when you were a kid in Sunday school? Every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. And we like the promises of God where God's going to bless us. And we like the promises of Jesus where he says it's going to be well with you. And we like the promises of Jesus where he says it's going to answer prayer. Here's a promise that's yours. You're going to get offended. <laughs> the offenses will come. I'll say this. 
the things that could stir offense will come. Now, how your heart navigates that is the spirit of... But there will always be things in your life to get offended about. That's what Jesus is saying. There will constant your, your heart and life will be bombarded with things that you can, if you desire to, get offended with. And that's, that's a promise. Jesus gives it to you. Amen. How many amens? All right, this is good. And so today I'd like to march through this text. And the reason I did this one is because it's, it's very narrative-driven. That is, it, it's a story that we're going to see played out here that I think will really help us to get our mind around kind of this concept of unity, maintaining unity in the midst of differences. And so in Joshua chapter number two, we're just going to start marching through this. I'm going to share the story, give you the narrative. I hope you really kind of grasp it, get to understand it. And at the very end, we'll just kind of pull a couple of thoughts that really I believe the Holy Spirit of God would want us to mull over in a spirit of wisdom today, all right? So I'm going to preach it. We'll move through it. Then at the very end, I'll give you some statements that I hope will help us to experience unity in the midst of our differences in our marriages. Now, maybe it's only my marriage that experiences disunity. I'm sure not in the Ambassador Baptist Church. No, none of you guys are experiencing any, any division in your marriages, all right? But, but, but for me, I, there's, it, it's there sometimes. Man, you guys are quiet. Maybe I am the only one here, all right? You know, how, how, within, you know, our workplaces, in our families, with our kids as they grow up to be adults, how, how do we navigate that? In our connection group Bible studies, and our small groups, how, how are we going to maintain and experience uh, this unity in the midst of these differences in, in our church as a whole? I mean, if it, was, if it could happen in the early church, I'm just going to tell you it can happen here. All right, and so how are we going to navigate those differences? How, do, how would Christ call us to do this at our workplaces? Division. And so I believe some of these things will help. So I'm going to dive into Joshua chapter number 22. Uh, just to give you some background before we jump into verse number 1. At this point, Joshua is an older man, all right? They just finished claiming all the promised land given to them by God, all right? God said, this is your promised land. The first generation of Israelites said, we're scared. We ain't going in there. The giants are big. It's too scary. No, we quit. And so they march around in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, that generation dies off. And Joshua then takes the helm and he leads the next generation of the children of Israel to conquer and to take what God had promised to them, all right? Seven years of battling, seven years of claiming, seven years of conquering has taken place and they've finally done it. They've appropriated everything that God had already promised to them. And so that's what's taking place. Now it's time for each of the individual tribes, uh, the 12 tribes, to take their portion of land. They were going to divvy it all up, and each of them were going to get their portions of land. And so that's where we find ourselves right here, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says in Joshua 22, verse 1, Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So two and a half of these tribes Joshua now is going to speak to directly. And he says to just these two and a half tribes, not the, not the rest of the ten and a half, but these two and a half, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that, the Mo- ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Now, let's just stop right there. 
Okay, now I, I need, we got to get our head around this. We're going to have to put our thinking caps on or we're going to miss what, what's going on here. And I, I want you to understand this. So Joshua is coming to the, just these two and a half tribes. This is, he's not talking to everybody. He's talking to the two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And so here's what he's saying here. He's saying you kept your word. What you promised to Moses, you fulfilled. Well, what? What in the world is he talking about? What promise did these two and a half tribes make to Moses? Well, if you start to study your Bibles, you go back to Numbers chapter number 32. This is now seven years before, according to Numbers 32. The Israelites are about to cross the Jordan into the promised land, all right? So all, they're getting ready to conquer this land. This is seven years before Joshua chapter number 22. And the tribes of the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, their leaders come to Moses, not Joshua. This is years before. They come to Moses and say, Moses, we want to we talk to you about something, all right? And Moses says, what is it? What do you want to talk about? He says, since we've already conquered some of this land on the western side of Jordan. Now, they're getting ready to cross Jordan to take the promised land. These Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they come and they say, we've already got this land here on the west side of the Jordan, so can we, we just stay here while you guys, we're going we're gonna to start little cities and little villages and keep our family here. And uh, can we keep this land that's already ours? And basically Moses says, no. What, what are you talking about? You, you can't, you just want to stay here while your brethren go and fight for this promised land? Moses says, no, not a chance. You, you just, you're lazy. You're just like your fathers before you. You go to Numbers 32. He says, you're just scared. And Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh says, Moses, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I, you're, we're not being clear here. He says, we're not saying we won't fight. We're not saying we're not going to go with you. We just want to leave our women and our children. We want to start some cities. We'll leave a few men just to protect them. And here's what we'll do. All of, our, all of our able men, we will go and we will fight with the rest of you for as long as it takes to claim the promised land. He says, in fact, he says, our tribes, Reubenites, the Gadites, half-tribe of Manasseh, not only will we fight, we will be on the front lines. We're, we're going to be on the front lines. You guys can stay back. We're going to fight. So Moses says, okay, if that's what you're promising, and if that's what you're saying, I agree. Numbers 32. Okay. Moses then dies. Joshua takes the front. Joshua chapter number one, Joshua's a little bit nervous. Moses is dead. These two and a half tribes made a promise, not to Joshua. They'd made a promise to Moses. And Joshua's now a little bit afraid because he's afraid that these Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, he's afraid that they're going to, they're going to, they're going to turn back. They're, they're, going to, they're, going to, they're not going to do what they had promised to do. And so Joshua's a little bit afraid, and this is why God comes and says, Joshua, fear not, be of good courage. And he says, this is going to happen. And so they, he goes back to these, Joshua chapter 1 through chapter number 4, he goes back to the Reubenites, the Gadites, half-tribe of Manasseh, and he says to them, hey, you made Moses a promise. If you built these cities, left your children and women, and you said you were going to come, you were going to fight, and you were going to be on the front lines helping us to move forward into the promised land. And Joshua looked at him in the eyes, looked at these, and he said, are you going to keep your word on this thing? And they said, we're going to keep our word. And so now seven years later has come, and all of a sudden, this is what Joshua is saying, ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days. He's saying, you didn't turn back. Good job, guys. 
Seven years you fought. Seven years without your families. Seven years without your wives. Seven years without your cattle. For seven years you were on the front lines. Reubenites, the Gadites, half-tribe Manasseh. You were, you were on the front lines. You were just fighting. You were claiming. He says, you kept your word. He says, good job, guys. He says, you did this for many days, seven years, and have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord. So now verse number four. He says, now the Lord your God has given rest unto your brethren. We're done. This is the promised land. We've got this thing, verse 4. And as he promised them, therefore now return ye and get you to your tent. So literally what Joshua is saying, hey, you can go home now, guys. I know your home's on the other side of Jordan. Get back to your tents. Get back to your villages. You can go back. You've done what you promised to do. And he says, return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, notice this, on the other side, Jordan. Verse 5, but take, command, take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. Notice this, to love the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways to keep his commandments and cleave unto him and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua's coming along and he's saying, thank you guys. Thank you. Seven years you labored. Seven years you were on the front lines. Seven years you kept your promise. You're free. You, you did what you said you were going to do. Go back home. Go see your wives. Go see your children. I mean, imagine this. People, men who had left their kids now when they're seven years old, they're, they're, they're little, their little kids are now teenagers. Dads who left their teenagers, their, their sons are now young men. Their wives have aged. They're not physically not quite the same as they were before. And Joshua says... Go back to the other side of Jordan. You two and a half tribes, you've earned it. You can go. Notice verse 7. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan. But unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side of Jordan westward. All right? And so basically, he's saying the half tribe of Manasseh, one's on one side of the Jordan. The other half is on the other side of Jordan. Verse uh, number uh, 8. Uh, keep going, and he there gave unto westward, and when Joshua sent them away, this is the end of verse number seven, and when Joshua sent them away unto, unto their tents, then he blessed them. I want you to get, you got to see this, you got to get this. Joshua's blessing them. He's saying, good job. I'm blessing you, verse eight. And he spake unto them, saying, return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle, with silver, and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and with very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Hey, go take it home and enjoy what God has blessed you with. Verse 8, notice verse 9. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel. So they leave the other ten and a half tribes here. He leaves them, and it says here, the children of Israel out of Shiloh, I get this, which is in the land of Canaan, to go unto the country of Gilead, to the land of their possessions, wherewith they were possessed, according to the word of the Lord, by the hand of Moses. Here's, here's what I need you to understand at this point. This is what I need you to get. Everything's good with them. Joshua is blessing them. Their captain is saying, you're doing a good job. Way to go. Keep it up. We're proud of you. You fought on the front lines. You're awesome. This is amazing. We bless you. Here's riches. Here's treasure. Here's spoils. Take this all back. You've done well. You've done good. All right? Everything's good. Verse 10. 
And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, so now they, they move all the way through the promised land, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh. He says they get to the borders of Jordan. They're almost home. After seven years of fighting, now they've been traveling back home. They get to the Jordan River. They get to the, this place here. And it says that are in the land of Canaan. Notice this. So they're still in Canaan. They haven't crossed over the Jordan yet. Behold, the children of Reuben... I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 10 here. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, notice this, built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. All right, now I want you to get this. Here they are, it's been seven years. They're traveling back, they're tired. They haven't seen their children in seven years. They haven't seen, seen their families in seven years. They haven't seen their wives in seven years. They get to the Jordan, they can almost see their villages. They can almost see their home. And they say, we gotta stop. We're not crossing over this Jordan yet. We're not going in this direction yet. And so here he says, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're building an altar. And these three tribes, these soldiers, they come together and they build a great altar. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a tall altar. It is a huge altar there. It says a great altar uh, to see to. That is, if you were on one side of the Jordan, you could see this great altar. And if you were on the other side of Jordan, you could see this great altar to see to. It is an incredible altar. And there they do it at Jordan. Now notice verse 11. It's a new paragraph. This is what we might call Act 3. <laughs> and when they came unto the borders, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11, and the children of Israel, this is the ten and a half tribes here, nine and a half tribes, and the children of Israel heard say, behold. So this is the other group now. The children of Israel, they heard this. Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Verse 12, and when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. Whoa, this escalates quickly. What's happening? Everything was good. Everything was fine. Here, have treasures, have spoils. We bless you. You've done a good job. You've kept your word. And then they hear about something. Something got built. And all of a sudden, they gather together, and the very swords and the very spears and the very bow and arrows that they were using to conquer there, the enemy, they picked those bow and arrows up and they picked those spears up and they picked those swords up and they're now going, these, the, the tribes of Israel, they start marching to the Jordan. Why? They're going to war. This is business. This is, this is no good. Whoa. What is happening here? What, what's taking place? I mean, here they are. The, the, the Israelites are over here, and get this, they're, they're assuming that the tribes, the tribes of Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, basically they're assuming that they're apostatizing and assume they're turning from God. So they're going to take the same sword, same spears, same bow and arrows, and now they're going to march against these two and a half tribes. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead. Notice this, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. So this is where they start. Now, I want to say this. Phinehas is a good guy. Phinehas is good. He's a priest. 
This is the grandson of Aaron. He's a good guy. In fact, seven years earlier, God used him to kind of bring revival back to the children of Israel. The children of Israel, they were apostatizing there. They were the, with the Moabites. They were getting some really wicked type stuff. And God uses Phineas to stand up as a preacher and stand up and say, hey, guys, we got we to make sure we're going in the right direction. Phineas is a good guy. He's part of this group over here. And so this tribe says, hey, Phineas, go over. You get, you're going to talk to them. You're going to talk to them. Okay? So that, that's what happens here. Verse number 14. And with him, so he doesn't go alone. They, they send some people with him. With him, ten princes of each chief house, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel, and each one was a head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. So not only Phineas, but there was a prince from each of the tribes. Basically a representative from each of the tribes, ten of these tribes. They are now marching with them. They're going to go talk to these two and a half tribes. They're going to find out what's going on. They're going to war. They're, they're just mad. They're angry. How could these tribes do that? And so they send them off. All right, here's where we are. Verse number 15 and 16. And they came unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, what did they say? Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord. So basically it's like, here, here's what all of us have to say. What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that ye have builded you an altar that ye might rebel this day against the Lord. Basically they come and say, you rebels. You rebels. What, what do you think you're doing? What's wrong with you guys? You're rebels. You're doing, you're doing this. Something's not right here. Verse 17. Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we are not cleansed unto this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? So basically they're saying, remember what happened seven years ago when the apostasy set in and all of us suffered because of that? Are you trying to bring God's judgment on us all over again? What, what, what are you doing? What, what's going on here? He reminds them, he's trying to remind them of their sin of the Moabites from seven years before. He's basically saying, are you trying to add insult to injury? What are you guys doing? Verse 18. But that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. And so the ten tribes, man, you're rebels. What are you doing? God's going to judge you. You're wicked. You're horrible. You're sinners. And we know it. We, we know what's going on in your heart. We know what you're up to. We know what you're thinking. And it's wrong. You're rebellious. Verse 18. I think we read that. We'll go to verse 19 and 20. Did I read verse 18? Okay, good. All right. Right. Lost my place. Verse 19. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean. This is, this, is, this is neat. I want you to see this. So this is the ten tribes. He says, if the land of your possession be unclean. If where you are, if, if there's sin running rampant, if, if, there's, if that's what's happened. Notice this. This is, this is the ten tribes. Then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelt. He says, we've already got a tabernacle over here. He says, if something's going awry, why don't you just come back with us? If you can't handle being on the other side of Jordan, come over here. We'll give you some of our land. We'll make room for you. We're, we're for you. Just, just, come, just come, come over here, verse number 19. Where in the Lord's tabernacle, though, we, we've, got a, we've got a tabernacle over here. We're all good. 
but rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. We've already got an altar. We're already set with worshiping the Lord. We're good. If you're having a problem, come over with us. You can worship. We love you. We're for you. Come on over here. Verse 20. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man perished, not alone, in his nicotine. You're just, you guys are just like Achan. You're going to cause all of us to be judged. Come, come back to our side. Basically what they're saying is, come on, guys, just do, just do what's right. <laughs> Ten tribes selling these two and a half tribes, do what's right. But here's what you want to Here's what you got to get. They were doing what was right. <laughs> They were doing what was right. They hadn't sinned. They hadn't rebelled. They hadn't done anything wrong. The only sin that had taken place was in the minds of these ten eastern tribes. Judging the motives of what those two and a half tribes were really up to. We know what's in their heart. <laughs> we, we know what's going on there. <laughs> we know the rebellion that's being stirred. We, 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 know, the, I, we know they're trying to get away from God. <laughs> we know it. <laughs> so we're going to kill them. <laughs> now what's interesting is you, you've been reading this with me. At no point did these ten eastern tribes even bother asking why they had built this altar in the first place. Why had they? I mean, it, the Bible doesn't tell us up to this point. Verse 21. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered. <laughs> okay, we're listening to you. We're rebels. We're awful, we're horrible, we're running from God, we're doing the, all this. And, he, and then they answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israels, verse 22, the Lord God of gods, the, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. And he goes on to say here in verse number 23, uh, verse 22, the Lord, Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. He, yeah, you're calling us rebels. You're calling us far from God. You're calling us worldly. You're calling us, you're saying this all, he says, the Lord God of God, Lord God of God, he knows, he knows. If it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. Basically, here's what they say. God knows. God knows the motives. God knows the heart. God knows what's going on. And if we're doing what you're saying we're doing, he can judge us. He can take care of this. He will do this. Verse 23. That we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord. Okay, so the Lord knows if it was that we built an altar to turn from following the Lord. Or, or, or... 
if to offer thereon burnt offerings or meat offerings or to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. Lord knows which of these things are happening. The Lord knows if this altar is to be used for paganism or the Lord knows if this altar is to be used to honor and worship and magnify the Lord upon. He knows. Verse 24. And if we, so the Lord knows, there's a long paragraph here, I, I keep stopping in the middle, so he knows if we have not rather done it, notice this, for the fear of this thing. So he, literally these two and a half tribes are saying, God knows if we did it out of rebellion, we did it out of paganism because we wanted to run from God, we wanted to run from the Spirit of God, or if we were doing it because we were afraid that was what was going to happen. We were afraid being on the other side of Jordan, we were going to grow distant from God. We were afraid we were going to go distant from that altar. We were afraid we'd start to turn from God. He's saying God knows whether we did it in rebellion or we did it in fear that we might become rebellious and so we wanted something close we wanted something uh, familiar we wanted something we could understand we wanted something we could see we wanted something our children could see and our children could look to and our grandchildren could look to so they don't run from God we're not trying to replace the altar in Shiloh they're saying we know you have an altar in Shiloh we just want a big a tall reminder that even though we're on this side of Jordan and you're on that side of Jordan, we're all on the same team together. That, that's, that's why we're doing it. That's why we did this. That's why we built it. Verse 26. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness. Notice this. Between us and you, we're on different sides of the Jordan, us and you, that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children to, in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. In fact, as you study these verses here, you're going to see that they're starting to talk about, they're doing it so the next generation would be able to easily see. They're saying this is not, this is not for us. This is for the next generation. And this is for the generations to come. This is for our children and our children's children. This is for the future. This is, this is, this is what it's about. It's not, it's, we didn't build this thing so that we could rebel. We're doing this new thing so that we won't. Now, for sake of time, how do we main, maintain unity in the midst of differences? How do we do this thing? A couple, couple just thoughts here, and we're going to wrap this thing up. You got, does everybody under, understand the story? Does everybody understand what took place here? Okay. Okay. Notice verse number 12, because I want to catch this. I want you to see this. The children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half tribe of Manasseh unto the land of Gilead. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. Okay, I want you to see Phineas is a good guy. And I want to see these two and a half tribes. I mean, here they were. They wanted to get home to see their wives. They wanted to go home and see their families. And yet they had such a respect for God. They had such a love and worship for God that instead of rushing home, they decided to wait. No, we're not going to go home yet. We're going to do something. Man, talk about character. Talk about discipline. 
Which leads us to uh, just the first thought I want to pull out, and that is this. We, we must understand, we've got the Phineas's over here and the ten tribes. They're saying, hey, come over here. We've got, we've got room for you. And these guys over here, they're building an altar to the Lord. With, with they, they could be going forward. To good people, I want you to see this. We must understand, I think this is on the screens, that sometimes good people will disagree. Good people. We must understand that sometimes good people disagree if you don't understand this you're going to have a hard time with life I've got some people I highly highly respect people who used to be part of this church that I still to respect to this day that I disagree with <laughs> and they disagree with me <laughs> in fact we have people in this room and you disagree with me and I might disagree with you doesn't make you bad and me good or me good and you bad. We must understand sometimes good, good people. Phineas over here, these tribes trying to worship God over there. We must understand. <laughs> who was right? Paul, who was right? Barnabas, which, which, which was it? You know, they're in this dispute. Who, who's when? Who's right? Is it Paul that's right? Is it, is it Barnabas that's right? Who's right? Who's wrong? Paul, who's right? Barnabas, I don't know, but sometimes good people disagree. <laughs> who's right over here? Who's right? I don't know, but sometimes, you know, good people disagree. Can I say this? We don't have to have the same preferences on everything. We don't have to agree on everything. It's okay to disagree on some issues. It's okay. We can still show grace and love. We must understand, even throughout the scriptures, good people often disagreed. Who was right, Paul? Who was right, Barnabas? Why are you fighting over John Mark? Who's right? Who's wrong? We don't know. The Bible never tells us. So yes, who's right? Who's wrong? I don't know, but sometimes good people disagree. You say, well, if I disagree, they must be wrong. Or I must be wrong. One of us has to be wrong. <laughs> Depends maybe how you're looking at it, how they're looking at it. Number two. Verses number 15 and 16. And they came unto the children of Reuben. There's these ten tribes. They came unto the Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh unto the land of Gilead and spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, this tribes? What are you doing, you rebels? What caused you to turn from God? What is this altar that you're built? What this is? We already have an altar in Shiloh. This, what's going on here, guys? You're rebels, and we know it. Something's wrong and we know it. Which leads us to our second thought. We must learn to deal with issues without assigning motives. I don't think it was wrong for Phineas and the ten to engage the situation. Not at all. There was some confusion that was there. There were some misunderstandings that were there. But we must learn to deal with issues without assigning motives. 
This is why the whole issue arose, because there were some well good people, well-meaning people. These brethren had fought together. This was Phineas. He was a priest from God. He wanted to give them his own land. He said, we've got space for you. These are good folks, and these are good people, but when they get into it, what caused this whole thing is because they said, we know why you did what you did. You're worldly, and you don't love the same God we do. That's why you did it. That's why you're doing things different. <laughs> that, that's why you're doing things strange. You don't love God. We don't even love the God we love. <laughs> that's why you're doing it. Um, one of the chief sins in our world today, it is called evil surmising. First Timothy chapter number six, if you want to do a study on it sometime. Evil surmising. <laughs> you say, what's evil surmising? Evil surmising is when in addressing and thinking and contemplating an issue, you assign motive into why the other group, the other person, is doing why they're doing what they're doing. It's wicked. Evil surmising. I see what you're doing. Okay, then let's talk about it. Let's engage it. That's healthy. That's good. But the moment you allow your mind and heart then to assign motive as to why they're doing what they're doing. I, I know why. I know why that lady over there does what she does. And I know why he does what he does. And I know why pastor does what he does. And I know why they do what they do. And I know why she does what, I know why they do what they do. I know. Can I say this? You don't know. You don't even know your own heart. <laughs> the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says the Lord, the Lord, he trieth the reins. You don't even know why you do what you do. <laughs> so let's be humble enough and meek enough and temperate enough to not get into this evil surmising. I know why that family does what they do. <laughs> I, know that I know why that family sends their kids to public school. I know why they do it. I know, why that, I know why that lady dresses the way she dresses. I know why she does it. I'm not saying we can't address things, engage things. But evil surmising brings death to any community. To engage something is healthy. To talk about something is healthy. But to evil surmise, to, in, to instill motive, and as you know why they're doing what they're doing, is hurtful. Verse 22. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. In Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if it be in transgression against the Lord, that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or if it to offer those burnt offerings. Verse 24. And fear of straying, which leads us to our third thought. We must be careful not to forbid the construction of new things. We must be careful not to forbid the construction of new things. Now, I will caveat that. As we move forward, as a church moves forward, we cannot compromise on the clear doctrines of the Word of God. We must not compromise. We must not backslide. 
we must not lose our doctrinal convictions and our spiritual mores. But we must not forbid the construction of new things. <laughs> I can only imagine when they first came out with Bibles with, with, on paper. Remember, it used to be on vellum. What's up with this stuff on paper? Look how cheap this stuff is. Don't they realize the Word of God is sacred? It should be written on something more sturdy that will stand the test of time. Paper. What's, what's up with this? I don't understand. Why these, why these young kids? What are they, what are they doing on their, on their iPhones and their iPads, reading their Bible? What, what, what are they doing? I don't know. They're probably playing Angry Birds. That's what they're doing. That's probably what they're doing. Because when, because when you were a kid and you were in church, you, you never wrote notes in the margins of your paper because you would never do that. <laughs> you know what? There may come a time and I don't use a paper to speak from or we don't. Can I just say this? We, we got to be very careful that we don't forbid the construction of new things that are being utilized to worship God with, to help the next generation more clearly see God and worship Him. See, if we're not careful, we get so comfortable with our altar in Shiloh. And here we've got this Jordan River, this separation, and over here, and, and we've got a generation of people, and they, they're so distant, and they're so far. It's not familiar. It doesn't make sense. They can't wrap their hands around it. And we've got, if we're not careful, we'll have a generation of Christians over here who basically say, let the next generation burn, because I want what I want. I'm comfortable here. This new thing doesn't make sense to me. We're not talking about compromise. We're not talking about changing convictions. I remember when we first got screens in our church. Some of you remember when we first got screens in our church. I remember everybody's eyes when they walked in. Oh, screens. Some people were okay with it. Some people were little. Some people left. It's, It's a new thing. I know why you've got those in there. You want to show rated R movies in the church. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Or maybe we'll want to help people worship God on them. Now, I know why you use that song. <laughs> I know why you use that instrument. I know, I know that. I know why they do that in their family. I know why she does that. I know why he does that. I know why pastor does that. Is it all right to engage? Yes, let's talk about these things. But we need new ways to reach the next generation, to reach a culture that is constantly changing. And intrinsically, that is not bad. Change is not bad. Compromise is bad. And there is a difference. Sometimes we have to do something new for the sake of the next generation. Our world is going to hell in a handbasket. And we've got to ask ourselves, what do we care about more, our comfort zone or the next generation? 
What are we going to do? Are we going to reach the next generation? Or are we going to get comfortable with here's what we are? Verse 23. No. It's like, how did I get there? He says that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if it the offer there on burnt offering or meat offering, or to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. Notice verse, uh, let's see, um, verse 22, and the Lord God of gods, Lord God of gods, he knoweth. Here's, here's, here's another statement. We must commit ourselves to what God knows and to not to what people think. We must commit ourselves to what God knows and not what people think. I think it's good. I think it's healthy to have conversations about these things. It's, it's good. I've had, I've had many of these conversations throughout the months and years. These are, they're good to have. We need to talk through these things. What Phineas did and what the tribes did and getting together and talk about it, that is healthy. That is good. It's even good to kind of wrestle through things. I think that iron sharpening iron, I think that's healthy. We're not, we're not just talking about just kind of, well, you know, case or or all, whatever will be, will be. No, we need to have healthy, just dynamic, vibrant conversations and, and really uh, line it up to the light of God's word and, and really get some folks with different perspectives, different, asking ourselves, man, is this healthy and what, where are we going? Like, the Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors, good, good thing. But ultimately, we must commit ourselves to what God knows and not to what other people think. In your family, there's going to be some things God leads you to do that he's not going to lead some other family to do. And you've got to ask yourself, am I driven more by what that lady thinks of me and what she's going to do if I don't, you know, acquiesce what she wants? Or am I going to commit myself knowing this is what God's called me to do? We must commit ourselves to what God knows. I mean... Think about this. If, if I were these two tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and these ten tribes came over with their spears and their swords and their bone arrows crying, you rebels, you, what's wrong with you? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I were them, I would be like, I mean, and maybe this is carnal. I'd be like, what? You shut up. You're idiots. I mean, that, <laughs> that's what I would do. Thank the Lord that's not what they did. They were gracious. We're going to talk about this. Let's, 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 let's work this out. Let's get together and let's, let's try to see where we can come together on this. I love what 1 Peter 2.23 says. But when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. He didn't respond the way they had. Man, isn't that cool that these two tribes didn't respond to the Israelites the way the Israelites responded to them? These guys, they were, they were accusing them and telling them how awful they were. Look at the way she dresses. Look at the way things they do. Look at the way he did. And you know what they do? They don't revile again. Let's, let's talk about this. Notice what the end of the verse says. He threatened not, that's not Jesus, but committed himself to him that judges right, righteously. Here's what Jesus did. He committed himself to the Father. God knows. God knows. I'll try to convince him. I'll try to talk to you. We'll have conversation. But at the end of the day, here's what the word of God, here's what the spirit of God, I'm committing myself to what God knows. I don't have to find my identity and my behavior being driven by what somebody else thinks. I'm free. Why? To commit ourselves to what God knows. Verses number 25. For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you. 
ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. Ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for bird offerings or sacrifice, but that we may be a witness between us. Now notice this, and we're going to wrap this thing up and I'll be done. There will always be Jordan rivers in our functional, practical lives. Let's just get practical with this in our lives. We will always have Jordans in this church. Dividing points. They're they're just always going to be a part of a community of faith. Sometimes those Jordans are going to just be uh, something like backgrounds. Your background is different than this background. And those backgrounds are going to create some differences. The way you see the world, the way your worldview kind of operates, a background. Sometimes it's ethnic. I mean, just the, the cultural background that you come from instills values and mores that are not intrinsically right or wrong, but they just emphasize certain things more and de-emphasize certain things less. And intrinsically, it's neither right nor wrong. It's just it is what it is. I heard Bill, I hope pick on you, he had a birthday party yesterday for his son. And man, the culture, they do parties big, <laughs> big. I don't know if I ever got a birthday party in my life growing up. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's cultural. Sometimes it's your family background. Differences. There's always going to be Jordans. Sometimes it's just preferences. The Jordan that divides us is just one preference here and one preference there. It's a Jordan that divides us. Sometimes it's financial. They just have more money. God blessed them with more. And because of that, they're able to drive something you can't drive. And they're not being greedy because of it. There's Jordans. Sometimes it's, oftentimes it's personality. Personality, we all have different personalities. And this probably causes more friction than about anything in a church and in a family and in a marriage, is personality. You say, which one's right? Which one's wrong? Paul, are you right? Barnabas, you right? I don't know. But there's friction. Here's the great thing about the local church. That red or yellow, black or white, they're all precious in his sight, rich or poor, old or young. The ground's all level at the cross. Which brings me to my final thought. We must seek to minimize divisions. I didn't say eliminate, because there are some divisions that need to be kept. Doctrinal divisions that need to be there. Not eliminate all, but minimize many and maximize our common love for God. Here's, I want you to see what was going on. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were trying to unify these two groups. Their entire motive, their entire heart was not to, yeah, they're they're doing something different. Yeah, they're doing something new. Yeah, they're doing something that this tribe over here wouldn't do. But the reason they were doing it is they were trying to help the next generation stay unified with what this generation had already established. They're trying to build bridges. They're trying to say, hey, God is big and he is worthy of our praise and he is worthy of our worship. And so here's this great high tower. And he said, we're going to put it right at our dividing point. There are going, there will, if, if, if you're, tr- <laughs> if a church eliminates all of its Jordan rivers, I'm telling you what, that church is going to be of one ethnic background, one age group, one set of values, one set of personalities. And, and we've all been to those churches. It's, you know, there's, there's a small group of people. They're all, you know, 
elder, Caucasian, traditional, you know, kind of, and, and we've, been, we've all been a part of that type of church. It's not intrinsically healthy. It's not what heaven's going to be like. Different backgrounds, different races, ages. Here we go with Christ being the common denominator. Can I say, you want to know when division happens? When people get their eyes off Jesus. That's when division begins to take place. Why? Because he's endeavoring to keep the peace in the mind. You, you say, well, Pastor, there are just some people in this church, and I, you got it. I'm just, I'm saying this. We'll, we'll address it. We will. You can help us. We'll engage it. We'll deal with it. We're not, that's not what we're talking about. We're, let's, let's, let's get around a table. Let's practice Matthew chapter, you know, the, let's practice if one have an offense, go to the other. If the other have an offense, go to the other. Let's practice and, and live out functionally the word of God. Let's, let's engage it. It's not sweeping under the carpet. It's not what we're talking about. But understanding that at the end of the day, he wants us to endeavor to keep the peace. So here's our takeaway, and we'll be done. Our points of differences, do we have this on the screen, guys? I don't know. But our points of differences don't have to be points of division. Our points of differences don't have to become points of division. Well, their personality, well, their age, well, their preferences, or, well, the way they do things, or the way they say things, or, you know, she doesn't do this for me, or this, all this, all this stuff, all this stuff, all these Jordan rivers, all these Jordan rivers, all these Jordan rivers. Let's just keep our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And when the God Spirit leads us to step into a situation, because there's situations you need to step into and the Holy Spirit of God is gonna cause, lead you to step into and you need to do that. But you can do it with love and you can do it with grace and you can do it with truth. Open up the word of God and engage those situations. But don't just gossip to somebody else about something you heard or something you saw or what somebody did or what they didn't do. If God is really working, here's how you know it'll be God because you will go to that person. anything else it dishonors the work of God and it does not promote a body of health whether that's in your marriage you don't need to be ladies going to your workplace and your coworkers and talking bad about your husband if you have something you need to talk with your husband about talk with your husband about it vice versa guys you don't need to always belittling your wives putting down your, just man if you got to engage an issue engage an issue that's good that's healthy but let's endeavor to keep the peace and keep the unity and the bond of peace. I hope this narrative helps you to kind of get your mind around how do we maintain unity in the midst of differences? How do, how do we do this? Keep our focus, our heart, our minds fixed on Christ, focused on His great name. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.